Welcome to the EMS on the Mountain podcast, a show for those interested in austere and wilderness medicine. This podcast provides insight into the unique aspects and challenges of bringing modern EMS into wilderness and austere environments. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of EMS on the Mountain. As usual, we've got Mike. Maybe we've been having a few technical difficulties today as we try to record. If it stops again this time, I'm just giving up. We'll do this later. Yeah, this is attempt like 42 uh, recording this episode. All right. Speaking of which, today's episode, we're going to talk about first aid kit planning for the lay responder. And by that, we're talking about trying to build out your own first aid kit or at least evaluate a first aid kit for day hikers, backpackers, average folks. You could apply the same knowledge outside of the wilderness to your home or your car first aid kit. So this is just general good information that you can apply to a lot of different scenarios in the construction or evaluation of a first aid kit. This does relate to some separate episodes we released earlier, all the way back episodes 13 and 14, which dealt with building out ELS and ALS first aid kits for wilderness EMS responders. So those kits are going to be a little bit more in detail, have a few different items that you're probably not going to find in your average first aid kit. Still some good information you may want to consider depending on where you're at with your training and your needs. So first question, what do I need in my first aid kit? Uh, A couple of considerations to think about before you start just buying a kit off the shelf or building one out. How many people is this kit going to be for? So this guides volume. How much of what do I need? If it's just for yourself, two or three band-aids and a couple of other minor items might be all you need. Uh, But is this for a hiking club? a group of friends going out together, two, three, four of you, six of you, a dozen of you. In that case, you're going to need more of items. And those items are going to vary depending on things like your activity. What is it you're going out to do? Are you going out for a day hike? Are you going out for a three or four day backpacking trip? Are you going whitewater rafting or canoeing? You're going to be on the water for multiple days. Things like that are going to guide the type of things you may want to add to your first aid kit. And we might talk about those uh, a little bit farther down. We talk about specific items. And how many days? Again, if you're out for just a day hike, you only need to carry a few items with you or a smaller number, we'll say. Because once the day trip is over, if you've used any of them, you can easily resupply yourself before your next trip. And I would recommend that you evaluate and inventory your first aid kits before you go out just to remember or remind yourself like, oh yeah, use that, better get that, replace it. Because the next time you go out, You're going to need it and you're not going to have it because you used it the last time. And lastly, what is your skill or training level? Have you been through a basic first aid course, even just the simple four-hour Red Cross basic first aid course? Have you been to a wilderness first aid course, wilderness first responder? Are you an EMT or above? If you're an EMT or above, you should have a pretty good idea of what you're going to need, depending on your experience level with wilderness care. You're obviously not going to outfit as an EMT your personal or your family's first aid kit like you would a first aid bag off of an ambulance. With that, some basic areas you're going to need to consider and items you're going to want to have. First one that comes to mind, which most people are going to think of, is for bleeding control. You're going to want to be able to take care of bleeding from moderate to severe levels. Now, we're not necessarily talking about full amputations of a limb, although I suppose it's... Tourniquet, tourniquet, tourniquet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but moderate to severe bleeding. And this is most often occurs with your casual wilderness folks or even your very experienced wilderness folks. 
This happens when people are preparing food and they have that good sharp knife and they accidentally cut a finger or something else, right? Trying to cut some cordage, it slips, and next thing you know, you've stabbed yourself in the leg, made a good slice. Minor injuries, right? Kind of tied to bleeding control, but these are your little boo-boos, your little cuts and scrapes, small little things that essentially a Band-Aid type thing would cover. General illnesses, big one, depending on your trip duration, where you're going, what you're doing, diarrhea. Diarrhea. Yeah, right. Drinking that bad water, eating some bad food. Stop for that yep. gas station sushi before you left. Coughs. Who doesn't stop for gas station sushi, <laughs> Sean? <laughs> and that's, that's a rough proposition in some of the places Mike and I go to. Yeah, yeah, it is. Places that are nowhere near fresh fish. No. Uh, well, not fresh fish that you normally find within sushi. Uh, Touche. General coughs, right? Whether it's from cold or flu, et cetera, sore throats. We'll say low-end diabetic problems. This is one where you really need to know who your friends are, what you're doing, so you can tailor that specifically. And there are a few more things out there. Mike will go into a little more detail with some of those. Orthopedic injuries. This is the next biggest one most people think of. I strain my ankle. I break something. I take a fall. I put my arm out. Next thing you know, I think I've got a broken arm. How are you going to splint and bandage those items? And then, of course, this one will vary depending on your training level and your personal desire. Documentation and references, right? So do you need to be able to document just foundational patient care stuff, what you found, what you did, what time it was? Even for yourself and your friends, knowing some of this information can be useful to an emergency department when you later go. It's like, especially if you have like a broken arm or a big cut, you know, docs might want to know like, how long has this been like this? Orthopedic surgeons will want to know how long that bone has been broken. How long ago has this big cut occurred? We've got to get you on some heavier antibiotics because we're going to assume it's pretty gross and dirty at this point. So just writing down some information, simple notebook, pen or pencil with you. Great. Reference books, small first aid reference guides. You don't need to carry an entire first aid book with you. They make plenty of small, good field guides that if this isn't something you do on the regular, having a quick reference set of cards or a small book can be beneficial, especially on longer trips when you're trying to remember what to do for maybe somebody has an upset stomach. You're trying to think through problems that it could be. If you're trying to reference how to do a specific type of bandaging technique for a, a strained ankle or a wrist or something, could be useful. I think with that, Mike's going to lead us into some actual specifics in each of these areas, and we'll discuss those a little bit more details. We're going along. So let's take bleeding control right out of the bat. Uh, this happens often. As Sean mentioned, the most common times you're going to see lacerations or bleeding problems is going to be food prep. Anytime sharp objects come out, that's typically usually an opportunity for cutting yourself. We have also seen in our time doing this, a lot of people that end up putting hatchets into their (laughs) their lower limbs. It's a thing. By the way, if uh, you put a hatchet in your limb, like don't take it out. Eventually you're going to need to take it out. That's definitely a thing, but don't like whack it in there and then be like, oh, I'm going to take it out and then let all the blood flow. Like understand the problem first. That's easier said than done, especially when you're the one with the hatchet in your leg. But yeah. yeah. Uh, Okay. So first big thing you want, I'll use the term plenty of rolled gauze. Rolled gauze in the three to four inch size is super useful. It's useful for packing wounds, like severe wounds. It's useful for wrapping wounds. We go through quite a bit of it in general in EMS on whole. I don't find anything useful in anything, any use in anything smaller than say like a four inch, maybe a three inch wide 
swath of gauze. They make smaller ones. The smaller ones, you just end up going, I need more, darn it. Yeah. If you're carrying a one-inch roll of gauze, that's built for a finger. Let's be honest. Yep. That's exactly what it's for. And it turns out that three-inch gauze works on fingers as well. What? uh, One-inch gauze doesn't work on a forearm so well. (laughs) So uh, rolled gauze, if possible, or preferably this gauze should be in plastic wrap of some sort, some sort of sealed container. Rolled gauze that you might have to use to pack a wound. You do not want to be dirty before you shove it into the wound. So most rolled gauze from even like a Walgreens or whatever, they come in a pla- like a plastic package that keeps yeah. it clean and dry. Don't take it out of that packaging when you're packing it for space and, and size. Weight's not really a consideration there. That stuff's pretty lightweight, but keep it clean and dry. Yeah. Gauze pads. Preference here is typically it'll say it on the package or in the from the supply house you're acquiring it from. Non-adherent gauze pads are a little bit more pleasant. But at the end of the day, gauze is gauze is gauze. If you can find non-adherent ones, they have a, an anti-stickiness to them that allows for removal a little bit easier. For any moderate to light bleeding, typically you're going to use a 3x3 or 4x4 gauze pads. You're going to place those over the wound, apply pressure, and then use your gauze rolls, or something we'll talk about in a second, to wrap them and maintain that gauze. So 3x3s or 4x4s is what are the, the common sizes you will find. There are things out there. I think they're 6x8 or 6x10. They're commonly referred to as ab pads. Yep. Those are useful as well. But really, if you're, if you're packing a, I'm just going in the woods in a just-in-case kit, a sufficient number, not a copious, you know, 15, 3x3 <laughs> or 4x4s is more than enough. Yeah. Uh, you don't I was going to say you like don't need four a package. to six. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you have 15, you're good for an entire kit for an entire group of people. Right? Yeah. You don't need to go buy a box of 50 and then try to take all of them with you. <laughs> Again, gauze pads, typically, if you're buying them at CVS or, or a medical-type supply place, they come in a papery-ish packaging, individually packaged. Leave them in there. You can buy bulk 3x3s and 4x4s in a bulk packaging. But again, unless you're going to repackage them in like a Ziploc bag, I would just leave, I would get the ones in the individual packaging. That packaging actually becomes quite useful for other things like strike fires and writing on if you really, really need it. But the individual packaged ones are great. And then finally, if we're really bleeding and bleeding is bad, in case anyone was not aware, bleeding is, is not the best, uh, especially at large volumes quickly. Tourniquets and quick clot. I have a strong preference toward quick clot that is not independent. I don't even think you can get the packages of powdery quick clot anymore, but if you can, don't buy them. Yeah. If you do, they're very, very old at this point. Yeah. You want uh, quick clot impregnated bandaging or clotting items. Typically, it's quick clot, but there are some other items out there. You want the quick clot impregnated, it's called, into the bandaging that you're purchasing. Tourniquets. The whole world of bleeding, like now that they're doing stop the bleed classes in schools and stuff, like everybody and their brother has a tourniquet, like yeah. a tourniquet or two in a boo-boo kit. Probably not a bad idea. You don't need to carry 10. This is not a, an active shooter trauma bag. Yeah. But having a tourniquet reasonable, I don't think your tourniquet needs to be, I don't know, strapped to your hip the entire time. It can just go in your medical kit. Yeah. My thing with this, right? So tourniquets and quick clot, we, we put into the discussion because everybody asks about them. And like Mike said, if you want to carry a single tourniquet, one is probably what you're going to need. Of course, this will vary by, again, your activity level. So if you're an arborist and you're hanging from a tree working a chainsaw, that's an environment that's prone to significant traumatic injuries if things go awry. 
So having a couple of tourniquets in a crew kit would be different. But mm-hmm. for even an individual, maybe not. But for a group kit, if you want to carry one, and please carry one of a reputable make and model, be very, very cautious of a tourniquet that costs $8 on Amazon. Chances are you're going to go put that on somebody's thigh if you really, really needed it, and it's going to fail. We're not going to get yeah. into all that. And then secondly, with things like Quick Clot, which is the most common commercial brand you're going to see out there, there are some more, but that's the one you're going to find it. REI and other places. It can be good. It can be very useful. But I come from a world where that was absolute last resort kind of stuff for significant traumatic injuries, significant bleeds. Most Just keep in mind, once you've applied the quick clot, it ain't coming off. Yeah, so that's, you're not taking that off later when you think you get back home, right? No. If you've, you're going to a hospital, you're yeah. getting some, some scrubbing and some surgical intervention at that point. So yeah. So let's not gotta, make quick clot the first intervention for a boo-boo, right? Let's yeah. try pressure first. And yeah. Yeah, let's, yeah. And again, if you haven't taken a first aid course to learn about how to properly clean and dress a wound, by all means, please go out and take one. Mike and I, of course, recommend you go find a good wilderness first aid course, two days mm-hmm. long, but they're usually very comprehensive and teach a full spectrum of skills. Enough on that. So yes, tourniquets, quick clot. Can you consider them? Yes. Do you think you're really going to need them? Think about your activity level, your most common injuries. In the last 12 something years, what are we, 2023, 20, so in the last 12 plus mm-hmm. years, I have neither needed a tourniquet nor quick clot, and I have seen plenty of really bad traumatic wounds. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying they're not useful, but if you have a limited budget for a first aid kit, that's not an area you necessarily need to be spending your money on. No, and that stuff does expire. So yeah. All right. Enough on quick clot. Minor injury things. Band-aids. It is amazing how many people (laughs) forget the band-aid dance. Band-aids are really, really useful for keeping injuries clean. If you get a little cut on your hand or an arm or or scrape on a leg. They're not going to be your first line for the moderate bleeding we just discussed, but having band-aids available for the little things, right? The the hangnails, the torn fingernail, the cut on a finger, the scrape on a rock, they can do a lot to keep injuries clean for the duration of your trip and avoid infection. And that's ultimately what we want to do. We want to keep things clean and somewhat covered if we have a weeping or or a, a slowly bleeding injury. That's usually enough. Various sizes, you can get one of those assortment packs and then take out all the neat fingertip ones and stuff couple of sizes and you'll be fine. You don't need the itty-bitty ones. If you really want to carry something for itty-bitties, I would bias towards Steri-Strips as opposed to Band-Aids. They tend to adhere a little bit better, but your average general size Band-Aids, good idea. Yeah. And part of the keeping stuff clean, the antibiotic ointment that goes with the Band-Aids. The common brand out there is Neosporin. That's the one you'll see everywhere. You can buy the little portable foil packs. They're pretty light. They're easy to pack. Uh, You can buy a tube. That's going to be way more antibiotic ointment than you're going to need for your trip, more than likely. But you can do that. But some sort of ointment, even I'm not a huge fan of the Vaseline thing. That was kind of old school. But yeah. antibiotic ointment to keep the bacteria down because we are, by the nature of being in, the, in a more wilderness environment, surrounded by more ickies and gooeys and things that can get you infected and make you sick. So antibiotic ointment is a is a key aspect there. And then finally, tick tweezers and a some sort of plastic card tick tweezers are are useful i've used them before i think everyone in 2023 understands that lyme disease is a thing nobody Mm. wants it ticks exist they just do you will eventually get them depending on where you are unless you're only hanging out in the desert and that's the only place you ever go you will eventually have a tick yeah i am actually 
genetically predisposed to not have ticks attach. Uh, they don't know why, but they know that ticks have an affinity for certain people and not others. I happen to not get many, very many ticks, but I still find ticks crawling on me and, and attaching every once in a while. Yeah. I remember after a particular SAR event, there were ticks everywhere. And I think I pulled a dozen off of me mm-hmm. that night after ops. It was amazing. I'd never had that many before, but it's like a solid 12. And then I was finding them in my car for a week later. Yeah. It was crazy. So, yeah. So you want to have that. And then the old school, some sort of plastic card or some sort of means to remove stingers, you know. I don't personally carry my wallet into the woods other than, you know, if I have my license, that'll work just fine. But I like to keep one of those just blank plastic cards in the kit. So I know it's there. Should I have to remove a stinger? We won't go into the technique, but there's a scraping technique to get stingers out of the skin because they're barbed and they have a hook on them. You don't want to just pull them straight out. Getting a stinger out of the skin can produce quite a bit of relief and you really don't want to wrap the, the sting injury in with the stinger in if you can avoid it. So something to remove that would be useful. Illnesses. So this is by far tummy problems and medications are going to be the most common thing you're going to reach into the bag for. It it just is, right? The reality is that you're probably not going to lacerate your hands, but if you get into some water that didn't quite get treated long enough or well enough, like (laughs) that water's coming out with some anger. First and foremost, emodium. Emodium is is key. Again, you don't need to carry an entire bottle of Imodium. The little blister packs are fine, something small and yep. packable, but bring some Imodium. They make those lovely little like travel size things that have, you know, like a dozen or so pills or chewable tablets. Perfect. Perfect. Yep. I am a fan of the chewable Imodium as opposed to the pill Imodium for urgent Imodium requiring needs. Yeah. It just, they work great. Cough drops. Keep in mind that if you have cough drops in your kit, you should consider your kit a, should consider it needing storage aligned with food cough drops have sugar and stuff in them critters will like to get into the cough drops they'll smell delicious yeah methylated cough drops for somebody that gets a cough can provide relief it's not going to fix their problem but it will provide relief and then over-the-counter medications we're a big fan of carrying ibuprofen acetaminophen and diphenhydramine ibuprofen the NSAID swelling pain works great acetaminophen again works great for pain uh, if you take them in combination, it's 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 quite the the hit kicker. We've talked about this before on the podcast. I'm not going to go into it, but we're a big fan of administering both of them together. And then diphenhydramine is a easily to acquire common thing for allergic reactions and other inflammatory problems, or excuse me, not inflammatory histamine related responses. Yeah. You can somebody's having a, a significant allergic reaction, even just sinal type uh, sinus drips and drains that you weren't expecting diphenhydramine can help relieve that as well yeah it Um, turns out when you get in nature you're exposed to a lot more of these tree and plant pollens and such and uh, a lot of people find that they're your mm, we'll call it minor allergic problems in the cities are greatly amplified when they actually get in the woods and get exposed to it especially if you're like truly hiking backpacking exposing yourself to a lot of it so diphenhydramine common name benadryl benadryl is super handy. Again, you're not going to cure the problem, but you're going to help with some of that just comfort measure, make them feel better. Moving on, some oral rehydration tablets can be very useful, especially if somebody gets dehydrated. You want to not just replace the fluid, you want to replace the electrolytes. This is a handy way to do so. There's some other stuff out there now, like liquid IV. There's all kinds of brands out there. You can get tablets. I I prefer the tablets over the liquid packs that you put in water just because if the liquid packs end up leaking, now I've got goo everywhere. 
but it's a good thing to toss in there. And then finally, this is a baseline for us, but I'm going to call this a particularly important thing. If you know somebody has some diabetic history, oral glucose, honey, cake frosting, the purpose-made stuff, the purpose-made stuff is generally gross, but <laughs> the flavored the flavored packs, you can get the goo packs or, or various athletic type gelatin things. Keep in mind that any sort of super liquidy glucose cannot be administered buccally inside the gums, inside the, into mouth. the mouth. <laughs> so you don't want anything that's too, li- like, I like honey, but it's got to be kind of thick honey, like the super, you don't want anything that could drop into the airway if somebody is having a diabetic yeah. problem. So enough on that. Um, yeah. And this is, again, this is kind of just something to consider. We're not saying that everybody needs to go out with this. Like if you know you have some friends or one friend, because statistically there's probably not, a, unless you're Diabetics Anonymous hiking club. If you know somebody's got a diabetic issue, keeping some simple sugars handy for them just on the off chance is not a bad idea. But for most of us, like for my personal first aid kits I carry when hiking with my family, I don't carry this with me. I, it's not something me or the wife or the dog needs. No, it is not. If you don't need it, it is not something to carry. If you're leading a trip or guiding a trip, uh, it's probably something you should consider tossing in there, yeah. especially if somebody becomes dehydrated and needs the emodium and the rehydration salts. like. Simple sugars can be a thing that can help them keep moving. Yep. This is where the goo packs are nice as opposed to gross tasting stuff. Yeah. The same sort of calorie dense simple sugars that runners use are, are typically pretty useful. But if it's if it's just a personal kit and you know you don't need it, it's not necessarily something that is first line. Orthopedic tooling. If you have orthopedic injuries, there's nothing worse than not being able to do anything about it at a simple first aid level. You're not slinging a whole lot of pain management. You're not bringing a whole lot of opiate <laughs> pain control into the backcountry. So the front line for a lot of first aid level needs for orthopedic injuries is stabilization and limited movement. That's going to bring a, a, a decent amount of comfort for the, the individual that's injured. And quite frankly, it's just good practice to not sling your broken arm around while you're trying to hike out for a day. So two or three SAM splints. You do not need a case of them. Uh, <laughs> We like taking them, like you can buy Sam Splints in two formats. You can buy them folded flat or you can buy them rolled up. Uh, If we acquire them rolled up, we typically take them out of the packaging and make them flat. Flat Sam Splints tend to fit better along the spine portion of a backpack in where the stabilizers are. You can tuck them away in a lot of places. Yeah. But Sam Splints, for sure, definitely a great tool. Uh, We should probably do a video at some point around how to properly use a Sam Splint because there's actually a a technique to fold and make them rigid. You don't just slap them on there, but they're great for arms. They're great for ankles. They're actually, you can use them on legs. I shouldn't say that in a surprised manner, but um, <laughs> there is, they're a great splinting tool. We use them all the time in pre-hospital EMS. And quite frankly, they're just a great tool to have. They also double kind of nicely if you absolutely have to as a knee board. If it turns out you have to kneel in front of somebody for a while or they're, they're multifaceted. Please don't yeah. drop them in the dirt and then put them on an open wound. Yeah. Ace wraps. All right. Ace wraps, uh, old school elastic wrap bandages, they are by far my favorite tool for backcountry care. So I'd mentioned earlier that rolled gauze is commonly used to, to wrap injuries. And it is. The kicker is that rolled gauze is made out of cotton. It's almost completely pure cotton. It's uh, cottonous fibers. It gets wet real quickly. So if you're in an environment where you're going to be sweating or getting wet or it's raining, like rolled gauze, it's not going to maintain its structure and integrity very long. It's going to get gross. It's, it's going to get gross and dirty quick. It is common for pre-hospital to just wrap things in rolled gauze and then take you to the hospital. 
if you are going to be out in the woods and you need to get to care for an extended period of time, I strongly encourage wrapping the rolled gauze with an ace wrap. It helps maintain some pressure. It helps keep dirt and things out. And quite frankly, ace wraps are great for minor injuries. Oh, my, my elbow hurts. My twisted ankles are the big, big thing. Yeah. And I go great. Ace wrap partners very nicely with Sam Splints yes. for securing injuries. So four to six ace wraps of various sizes. Again, I would not get, I know I've seen them. They're not very common, but I would not get anything smaller than like a three or four inch ace wrap. Four inch is kind of the standard size out there. Yeah. They make them up to six or seven, I think. Yeah, I think six. I have seen some two inch ace wrap. That is not yeah. what we're looking for. The other thing you can throw in there, and I'm a big fan, is Coban. I have actually, most of the time for, for backcountry use, Coban comes, it's, it's, the, it's the colored self-adhesive stuff that oftentimes if you donate blood or you go to the doctor's office and they draw samples for blood, they will then put a two-by-two two or a three-by-three three over the puncture site and then they'll wrap your arm in this sticky colored thing. That's Coban. Yeah. Also um, known as vet wrap. It's also, it, well, I was, I was just going to mention, I actually buy four and six inch rolls of vet wrap. Now, inside the tubing, it explicitly says for animal use only because that is a requirement <laughs> for regulations, but it's the same stuff. Yeah. It's commonly used by veterinarians to wrap like horses' legs and all kinds of veterinary functions. Yeah. But you can get four inch wide Coban pretty easily, and it works great to hold things in place, to cover, put four by fours or three by threes down, and then wrap it in Coban. It can be a little more comfortable than ace wraps because ace wraps have a more, they have a stronger elastic construction uh, that can, oh, it can cause some discomfort if it's left on for a while. Coban, if that'll work, tends to adhere to itself pretty well, but it's a little more flexible and doesn't cause quite as much discomfort over time. I don't know. We use it all the time. Yeah. So this is one of those things that I really like, especially backcountry securing IVs used for splinting. Even, yeah, like Mike said, like minor cuts, puts, clean it up, put on that gauze pad and then wrap some Coban around it. This is just really good, useful stuff. This is one of the, probably the only items where the two-inch wide rolls are acceptable. Mm -hmm. you know, we've been talking about like, you should get most of your ace wraps and gauze and stuff in a three-inch or bigger roll. Coban at the two-inch wide, because it's not, you're not doing significant bandaging with it. So the two-inch wide ones, if you're looking to save some space, keeping one of those in your kit, a lot of places, you can actually buy Sam Splints, and Sam is a brand name. It's the... Uh, basically an aluminum inside with a foam outer covering you can use to mold and make splints if you're not familiar and you this is something you can buy on amazon and other places and some places sell a version that comes in the rolled variant and in the middle of it is a roll of coban to help you secure it in place right it's a match made in heaven just like using it with an ace wrap type thing if you carry one or two ace wraps and a thing of coban with you man you can cover a lot of stuff with it yeah and then uh the old school Triangle bandage is by far one of the most useful tools in securing a lot of different injuries. You can actually use triangle bandages to secure stem splints. You can yep. use triangle bandages to, in pre-hospital medicine, it's called the sling and a swath, to secure an injured arm and then swath it to the body so that it doesn't bounce around while you're walking. Again, as we mentioned earlier, stability of an orthopedic injury is key. So four to five triangle bandages Typically, if you buy the little pre-packages, they come with uh, safety pins. You'll quickly lose the safety pins. Yeah, I throw them there. away. Yeah. Triangle bandages are great. If you, again, if you go take a wilderness first aid class, if you take a, a, a quality wilderness first aid class, they're going to teach you all kinds of techniques with those triangle bandages. But yeah. 
as with anything, if you don't have it, you can't use it. So having triangle bandages is really, really useful. Yeah, and this is something I'd say you need a minimum of two. Just one you can make just a basic sling with. But as Mike said, if you can then take that arm that's in a sling and then kind of keep it hugged up to the body, which is what the swath does, yeah, it really helps out a lot. Or you could use that second one to help bandage another injury. The triangle bandage is fantastic. Like for somebody that fell and hit their head and has a laceration somewhere on their skull, it's very, very hard to use gauze and Mm -hmm. coban or anything else because you're going to find yourself having to sometime go around the jaw or neck of your patient. But you can take the triangle bandage and kind of tie it on do-rag style, if you will, and help hold that bandage in place and help keep that scalp or head injury clean. So yeah, I'd say at a minimum two, if you want to carry a couple more, good on you. If you've got the size and or the weight and size restrictions, at least two of those. Two is good. It's worth note, a lot. I've heard this question quite a bit, like, well, what about old school bandanas? They're not quite as big. They're not yeah. triangle shaped and they don't hold knots as well. You can use them in a pinch, but triangle bandages are larger and they tend to work better. And for something like this, you really want a purpose. Like you want something in your medical kit that's kind of for the purpose so that it stays clean and, and whatnot. Yeah, like if you had a bandana and you use that to tie around some gauze on somebody's forearm, yeah, that'll work fine. But It'll yeah, like work. Mike said, most of the bandanas, commercial ones you find out there are too small to do a sling or a swath or do any sort of significant bandaging with. You're not going to tie an ankle hitch with one or anything else. So right. you can use them for improvisation and we have a whole episode on that, but don't really recommend those as part of your first aid kit. Uh, and then finally, documentation. There's a couple of things you probably want to have at the ready. At a minimum, a small notebook and a pen and pencil. I'm a big fan of the write in the rain notebooks because I don't know. I'm in the woods, don't know what the environment's going to bring, but something to make notes on, something to write things down is useful. You, again, you don't need a big old notebook, but something that's in your med kit that's available. It's, it's also a, it's kind of a mental cue, right? If it turns out that you're in a situation, you're not a medical professional per se, you're not a trained EMS provider, having it right there in the kit is a reminder like, hey, I should write down when this happens so that I have this information. Hey, I should write down what I did so that I can tell somebody when they're providing care. So a notebook and a pen and pencil is very useful. Uh, there are notebooks out there called soap note notebooks. If you so choose, I don't really use them a lot. I think Sean carries one occasionally. Yeah, well, and so basically they're designed for medical folks and it's already got pre-filled fields in them, right? And these are come in various formats and sizes. Um, and it'll have places like patient's name, injuries, do they have allergies, do they take meds? And these are really more applicable to folks with the medical training that know how to fill those in and use them. Are they beneficial to the average person? No, not necessarily. Now, if you've been to a wellness first aid course, you will recognize the format in the fields and you might, because there'll be places to put in like vital signs, like blood pressure and mm-hmm. heart rate and things like that. If you're out there as just a casual day hiker or backpacker, you're not carrying a blood pressure cuff or a stethoscope. So this is not something that you're necessarily going to want to seek out and use. You're not going to fill out 90% of the fields. Having, like Mike said, just a simple, basic three by five notebook with a pencil. Perfect, right? It's yep. what you need. Yep. Um, now, on the flip side, if you feel the necessity for it, a soap note type notebook will prompt you to write down things that you might yeah. not have thought of, this which is, is the one benefit. But a lot of the fields are not necessarily applicable to traditional wilderness first aid. Yeah. By the way, that soap is an S-O-A-P. Uh, it's a mnemonic. It's not, uh, I don't know why I felt the need to spell that, but I did. So <laughs> now you know how to go. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, reference cards. 
there's a ton of these things out there. Quite frankly, if I'm trying to do a backpacking trip and move fast and light, they're heavy. It's ounces make pounds problem. But there are a number of reference guides out there or cards. If you're carrying a phone in the wilderness, you can get them electronically. One kicker is you got to make sure you got power, that whole dance. They're just useful, right? We've talked about the Coamp guide. That's probably a little more detailed than you would need for most wilderness mm. first aid <laughs> environments. Yeah. But it's a great, I mean, it, it goes deep. But especially if this is a first aid type scenario, right? This is a just in case thing. It's amazing how quickly you will forget things you thought you knew when the pressure's on or somebody's really hurt. Having the reference material available to remind you how to do things or what you should be doing first, second, third is useful. There's dozens of companies that make these things. You can find them on Amazon. They're, They're useful. If you have the space for them, they're probably not a bad idea. Yeah, and something to think about too is depending on how you're your little field guide is built. Like some places make yeah, like laminated type reference cards or printed on plastic cards. And those can be very handy. You can, but what you should consider doing is tailoring that to your specific needs. Like if you know that I know how to bandage a wound and I know how to bandage from a minor to a severe bleeding injury, do you need a reminder? Do you need to carry a card that showed you with diagrams how to bandage a wound? No, but maybe you want that card or that small section of a book that outlines how to properly apply a SAM splint to an arm or an ankle, right? Because maybe you don't do that a lot. And it's like, oh my God, how do I do this again? I know I'm supposed to fold this and do something with it. And then if you have that reference, that's good. Same with like your over-the-counter medications. Like a lot of people take them out of their bigger bottles and only take a few pills and put them in smaller little Ziploc type bags or smaller pill bottles. Make sure you document, write down what the medication is, what the strength is and what the recommended dose per dose and total for the day is those are things you're going to want to know you don't want to like take way too much tylenol and find your liver or kidneys with motrin and stuff just angry 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 at you right yeah, know what your best. max doses are right because even otcs if you take too much especially tylenol those can literally kill you so yeah you, you. Your, your field yeah. guide should be kind of tailored to what you need it to be and maybe you just simply don't need one you've taken a good course you feel fairly comfortable and Maybe before a trip, you go through another book or set of handouts you got at a course and you thumb through those, refresh your mind and off you go. And So be it. That's all you need. All right, Sean. Well, now that we've talked about what we need to carry around, what are we going to put it in? Yeah. So if you're building out your own kit, this is uh, where you can use a little creativity. Uh, if you're buying it commercially at your local outdoors adventure supply place, most of your drugstores where you can find like your bandaging types of things aren't really selling, we'll call them practical first aid kits for putting in your backpack and going into the woods. They might sell some decent kits for your house or your car, maybe, but they're really not designed for what you need. So any pouch or container you feel will serve your needs. So I know a lot of boat people like to put their first aid kits. Some will keep a soft-sided bag and put it inside a dry bag because they're on the water and their first aid kit needs to stay dry. A lot of them use hard-sided cases with waterproof seals around them, like O-rings seals. So the same thing, like if their whatever their watercraft is should pitch them and their gear out, the first aid kit and stuff will float. It's not going to get damaged. It's not going to get waterlogged. You can get beat up on the rocks and things. You need to tailor it to whatever your needs are. Same thing with like putting it in a vehicle. It's not a big deal. Putting a hard-sided case into your backpack. I mean, if you're a glutton for punishment, sure. Uh, most sure. of us can't afford to lose that kind of space or want to carry an extra pound in plastic. So some sort of 
zippered nylon, usually type pouch. Yeah. A couple of things to keep in mind. You want to be able to keep your kit organized. You don't want to just have one big cavernous space and just kind of dump it all loose in there so that when you need something, you got to dump it all out on the ground to find what you need. Something with like organized pockets, elastic loops, things like that, that can keep it organized, keep like things together. Like all my bleeding stuff is here. My minor injuries are here. My over-the-counter meds are over here. My SAM splint goes in this little section here behind it, or I know it goes in the top lid of my backpack, whatever it might be. You want to be able to keep your kit organized so you know where the things are and you can easily get them. And it helps if you're trying to do the work, like you're the first aid guy for your crew or whatever it is. And you can say, hey, in the top pocket of this or in that pouch right there, hand me this thing, right? So you can tell somebody else where to go and they can easily find it. Whatever you put it in should help keep your kit clean, right? Mike mentioned this before with keeping your dressings inside their containers, their wrappers. That helps, right? You don't want to pull out gauze that's like coffee stained and gross looking. Because people are mm-hmm. like, uh, is that cool to put on my bleeding wound here? And it's like, ah, you'd be all right. So stuff that's going to help you keep all that kit clean, right? You just don't want it dirty. Nobody wants dirt inside their first aid kit. It's just not a good plan, right? Yeah, it's and not tie, the best. Tied right to that, you want to keep it dry. So it turns out that if your first aid kit is in your pack and it rains hard and you forget about it, all your other stuff was in a nice dry bag or something and your first aid kit comes out soaking wet when you go to use it and your gauze is like weird gross sponges now. No, that's not good, right? You want to be able to keep it dry. Some first aid kits come in, we'll call them water resistant bags already. Remember that's resistant. Right. Uh, And some of those are more robust than others. I think Adventure Medical Kits has a couple of Mm -hmm. their smaller kits now come with a pretty decent water repellent coated nylon outer bag. And on the inside is a pretty robust Ziploc bag. Those you're probably all right to keep as is, so long as all the uh, originally designed functions are still intact, right? So if you can no longer properly seal that inner Ziploc, probably should get that replaced or start putting in something else. If not, simple dry bags. These are fairly cheap and inexpensive now. Back in the day, they were heavy PVC coated nylon. They were big, they were bulky, and they weren't super cheap. You can get some pretty decent ones now. You can find basic ones at like Walmart. Uh, mm-hmm. If it fits your kit, perfect. Buy it, slide it in there. Just something to help it keep it clean and dry, and you're ready. And as we mentioned a couple of times, there are purpose-built, off-the-shelf first aid kits. And there are just any number of manufacturers out there. Some are better than others. If you are not sure what you should have in your kit, A, listen to this episode, take some notes, <laughs> send us an email. We'll be happy to send you a sample type of packing list, right? I'll happily send that along for you. I might even be able to throw in a few links for where to shop and source some of these things. I'm not going to build it for you. That's not what we do. But I'll be no. happy to give you some additional information. So with the purpose-built ones, some of them, again, the brand I mentioned, Adventure Medical Kits, these are some of the better right off the shelf kits. Many of them will come with a SAM splint or like device. They're off-brand manufacturers now. Most of those are just as good. They come with your gauze, your four by fours. They'll come with an initial set of OTCs, tweezers. Most of them come with a little reference book. That book is, well, it's, it's a reference book. Let's just leave it at that. It's good Um, for referencing. They come with different stuff. So they're out there. They're okay. Kits. When I, I've bought a few, but I've always supplemented, added a few things, taken a few things out, tailor it to your needs, basically. But if you just don't know and you need something that's ready to go, look at it. Uh, If after you've listened to this show, 
and you go to look at a kit and you're like, oh, this looks pretty good. Price is pretty decent. You start looking at its contents. You might realize that it's like, wow, this is really kind of lacking in a few areas. You can either know that it's lacking and, but it comes with maybe a good little pouch carrying case and it's got a good set of baseline stuff and there's enough room in it where you can now add those other items you wanted to carry. Perfect. Go for it. Buy that thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there are a lot of companies out there that build just first aid kit pouches and bags, right? That, okay, it comes blank. It comes empty. It's just this nylon shell. Maybe it's a hard plastic type of box or container. And then you fill in your items with it where you want them to go. Those are great too. I use plenty of those. And when it comes time, uh, I'm sure on our social media post, I'll post some pictures of my actual personal hiking first aid kit that I use for myself and my family. It's nothing exciting or extravagant. It's relatively small and light. And you get an idea of what I'm carrying, why, and what you can do with some of those shell bags or something that come with it. It's important to note, though, that if you're, if you want to buy a commercial off the shelf product, that's totally fine. But it is highly recommended that you crack into it and understand what's actually there and put eyes and hands on the components before you need them. Again, I don't think I've bought one of those commercial packs and not supplemented with something. There's also usually things I take out of them, but they're fine, right? Just don't, please do not just go buy your your favorite outdoor retailer, buy a kit and then throw it in your pack and think you're good. You need to know what's in there and you need to evaluate for your uh, trip set as what you might need and do some evaluation and then make sure you have the things you need and you know where they are in the kit should you need them. Yeah. And, and a really good example is that is in some of these kits, it'll say, oh, it has three rolls of gauze, but they're little one inch rolls. And like Mike and I talked about, those little one inch rolls just don't get it done for anything more no. than really, really minor cuts. Right. So, oh yeah, it came with three rolls of gauze, but it's like, oh no, it actually came with one three inch roll broken down into three one inch strips. Like, so be careful. That's a good idea. As Mike mentioned, like take a look at those inventory them so you know what it is and it does meet your needs. Yeah. All right, Sean, any other final thoughts? Eh, I think some of the other things we have here is, you know, should you make it? Should you buy it? That's got to fit your needs. Doing it DIY can be done cheaper in a lot of instances, but you kind of have to know what you're doing when you're putting them together. Yeah. So going the commercial route can make it easier the first time you go to buy something. Hopefully you've taken at least a fundamental course and you understand the basics of first aid. I, I mean, I can't recommend that enough. I think it should be uh, knowledge is more important than stuff. Right. right. Yeah. It's like knowing what you need to do. Cause if you go back to our episode on improvisation, there's plenty of things out there that if I don't have a bandage, I can fake it. But the lesson at that episode was yes, but if you can have the thing that does the thing correctly, have the thing, right? Whether that's for splinting or bandage control, don't just go out going, ah, I don't really need a first aid kit. I've got t-shirts, I've got socks, I can find sticks. It's all I need because I can bandage wounds and splint injuries, right? No, socks are for pooping. They are not for, uh, they're <laughs> not for first aid. No, that's how you make belly shirts, man. <laughs> oh yeah, good point. <laughs> and belly shirts. But yeah, so, get into your kit, right? If you're going to go buy a commercial one, take a look at what's in it. If you don't know how to use something, it's a great opportunity to say, huh, well, the manufacturer felt I needed this. Let me go spend three minutes on this, the internet box and determine what it's for to make sure that I know how to yeah. use it. Should I come into a situation where it's applicable? We can't stress enough. Going to a class will give you the knowledge on how to use the tools and what the pathophysiology of basic injuries is and how to properly leverage the tools. But just having the tools without the knowledge is probably not quite enough. So check out what's in the kit. 
after listening to this, I would believe that everybody listening to this podcast, all six people, they're going to be capable of making their own kit just fine. I think we're up uh, to 12. Come on. Yeah, my bad. The dozen people listening to this episode, JB, there's the, yeah. there's your, your shout out, buddy. Hey, we've got some of my friends down in Australia now too. Oh yeah, we've got Australian that. friends awesome. too. But again, make sure you know what's in the kit and how to use it and you'll be fine. Yeah, and I think that's really it, right? Know what's in your kit, know how to use it. And I will advocate always take a class, find a wellness first aid class somewhere in your area, take it, stay up on your knowledge and skills. Don't say you took one six years ago, right? You got to keep up on it. Yep. As medical professionals, we have to do continuing education for a reason that applies to everyone and knowledge in general. We tend to forget things. Yeah. All right, Sean. Yeah. I think that about wraps it up. Final thoughts? No, no. I think we've pretty well covered it all. Uh, Like I said, if you've got questions, uh, if you'd like us to give you an idea of what a sample itemized first aid kit might be, send us an email. Happy to respond to you. Yep. Uh, Give you some info. Uh, if not, Sean does a great job of monitoring our social media as well. So Facebook, LinkedIn, like hit us up. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, you can expect some photos. So you should see those on our social media that go with this episode. So you can see some pictures, kind of what, like I said, I'll, I'll put my kit in there specifically. So you can see what I'm carrying, knowing that, well, this guy's a paramedic and this is all he's carrying for his personal first aid kit. And it's like, yeah, it's really about it because this is really what you need. All right. Talk to everybody later. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for show topics, you can send us an email at the show at emsonthemountain.com or hit us up on social media. We can be found on Facebook and Instagram at EMS on the Mountain, Twitter at EMSOTM, or you can engage with us and a whole community of wilderness EMS professionals at locals.com slash wilderness EMS. Until the next episode, thanks for joining us. And until we see you on the mountain, train hard, be safe, and do good work.